Welcome to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast, where you will learn career strategies and techniques to help you break down barriers, make more money, and thrive in your tech life at work and at home. Technology has never been more mission critical to our online stay-at-home world, and you are the key to its success. You'll hear from diverse women in tech as well as experts who share both personal and professional strategies so you can transform your work and your workplace from the inside out. I'm Karen Morstel, former Silicon Valley tech leader and serial CISO for iconic brands like AT&T Wireless, Microsoft, and Russell Investments. I hope you will join me in my mission and message of resilience and transformation to make an inclusive and equitable tech industry. If you find this show helpful, please leave us a like and share it. And don't forget to hurry over to createyourleadingedge.com to join innovative and affordable group coaching for women in tech on your terms. And now on to Mojo Maker for Women in Tech. On the show with me today is a friend I have known for many years, Tab Pierce. He's the CEO of Caliber Security Partners. He's a book author of Upsurge, Wreckage to Triumph, and he's the founder and CEO of Refiners. And there is a Refiners conference we're going to talk about that's coming up that you'll hear about on the show. But what Tab really brings to the table today is his story of going from being a successful small business owner to having the mountain of his life to climb to save his business. You're going to want to listen to this for all of the encouragement and the wisdom that Tab brings to the show today. It is my pleasure to have him with me, and I hope you'll take a listen. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast. Today, I have with me a friend I have known for many years. Tab Pierce is the CEO of Caliber Security. He's also the founder of a brand new conference that we're going to hear a little bit more about later called the Refiners Conference. Hey, Tab, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. I'm looking forward to this conversation. I always look forward to our conversations. But when you and I first talked about the show and getting started here, I knew that the audience was going to want to hear from you because your story is one of resilience. And you have got some remarkable, remarkable milestones along the way that I think will be very encouraging to people. Can you just tell us a little bit about you know, you're getting ready to launch a big conference next month. You've got Caliber Partners, Caliber Security, which has been going on for some time as a very successful business. But you have a path. And I think it would be really helpful for people to hear about that journey. To go back, you know, Caliber Security is doing really well right now. It's healthy now. About five years ago, things are going really well. And the business was going well. The revenue was great. Things were just really, really good. And we had a series of events and they all kind of played into each other, one domino into the next. And, and that was, we had a really big contract with a major company and it was up for renewal. We had eight people that were out there and we pulled them off as 
you would when the contract is up. And we kept hearing, we're going to renew the contract. It's just going to be, you know, a couple more days. A couple more days turned into a week. Week turned into two weeks. And it kept growing. And, you know, as a small company, you have limited resources. And we kept kind of going, okay, we're really close. We don't want to let these people go. We don't want to do that. And what ended up happening is we, I think we were in about seven weeks and we were just about ready to, to say, we have to pull the plug. You know, we sat down and my accountant at the time, who is now the president of Caliber, did such a great job. You know, he sat me down and was like, hey, we've, we've got some real problems, real problems in the company. And I was in denial and I said, no, you know, we're okay. We just have a blip, total denial. And he said, no, it's more than a blip. You really need to listen. So I sit down with him, kind of prepared to like fight my battle and, you know, express where I was at and where we were at as a company. And the more I listened to him, the more I realized, oh my gosh, we're, we're in this horrible position. And, you know, I won't go into too much depth, but I'll just say that when all the dust settled, we went through a, a major reorganization. You know, business partner I had at the time ended up leaving. It was ugly. We lost a lot of employees. And we found ourselves $750,000 in debt, which isn't a lot of money if you're a big, huge organization. But for a small organization, that was a lot of money. And I sunk to some just some absolute deep despair. I was vulnerable. Like I felt like a fraud and all of that. And it took me just about three and a half years to pull myself out of that, to become the person I am today, to, to even just to get back to a level of being normal as a person, let alone getting our business back up to profitability and sustainability and all of that. But during that time, that three and a half years, it was bad. I mean, creditors that were, you know, we had one that was a hard money lender that did everything except actually show up to the office to break my legs, but they harassed me like nothing I'd ever experienced. So I went from this great business to this just tragedy. And, and people say, why didn't you just file bankruptcy? And I will say, you know, I didn't file bankruptcy because a quarter of a million of that 750000 was owed to the IRS. And the IRS does not forgive debt. So my greatest pain at that time was also my greatest hope to get out of that debt. And it was just, just this big, massive chasm that I went into and then just pulling myself out and the business out over years into being a changed person, but a changed business as well. I can't even imagine having that number show up. I'm a little bit of a denier too, I think sometimes. So I get that. And it comes from a place of how hard it is to grasp the radical reality when we have some fear that it might not be a great story, right? And so when you finally did, and that number is immense, and it took you some time, you said three and a half years, what for you was kind of the turning points? What were the pivot points that happened that took you from the bottom of the trough to starting to see that you had a way out? What was that like? I wish I could say the next day I woke up and I saw the light and I powered through it. 
it took me a long time to reach. I hadn't even reached the chasm yet, that depth of despair. But what really started to get me out was a few wins along the way. You know, we would get a debt paid off. We would get a little, just a little breathing room, even if it was only for a few days financially. It was my looking at a day and saying, today, I'm going to have a good day. I'm not even going to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow may be a horrible day, but today is going to be a great day. And when I lay my head down at the, on my pillow at night, I'm going to look back and I'm going to go, things may not have gone well. They may have gone tremendous, one or the other, but I know for sure I'm going to put my head on my pillow and I'm going to be able to say that I did everything I possibly could to be successful. And it was those type of things that started to give me a little bit of hope. You know, if I can, if I can tell you just not, not to dive deep into that story again, but just a little bit, people have, have said to me, and it ties into this, you know, man, boy, you were just a warrior. You know, you went in there, you went to battle, you slayed all those dragons and you came out. And I tell people, I go, you know, I felt more like a warrior early on that was dragging his sword to battle every day. Not like I was carrying it, like going into war. It was more like I had the strength to drag it. And that was about it. As you're talking, and I'm feeling this kind of in my gut, (laughs) to be honest, as I listen to this story, I'm sure other people are too. I'm so curious though, like, did you have a sit down conversation? You said your company kept going. How did you manage to find even the capital to keep things going. How did you talk to your employees about it? How did that all happen? (laughs) Sometimes it was a seat of the pants. As far as the capital goes, I mentioned this in, you know, in in my book that sometimes I don't know if we were lucky or good. More, I think that we were just blessed, honestly, because there were times when, you know, I would just be out turning over every rock, looking for every dime of of new business, of any, you know, of things to keep things afloat. And something would come up and we would get a project and we would get a payment up front. And we would tell people, you know, we don't do this now because we're not, we're not as hard up and in a bad spot for money. But we would say, before we can start, we need you to wire us the funds because, well, we need it to survive. We didn't say that, but that was the case. And so we had a lot of that, just things kind of connecting. But that went on for three and a half years where it was like connecting the dots, you know, week after week and just, you know, like we'd make payday. And I didn't always get paid. I got paid very rarely for three and a half years. But something would come up and we would be able to make payroll. And a lot of it was is that because there was a lot of upheaval, A lot of our employees left early on, and the ones that stuck around believed in me, believed in the company, believed in what we were doing. So, you know, there were times I had to go back and say, payday is going to be a week late, which means the next one's probably going to be about three days late, which means hopefully we'll be on schedule again after that. But they were the ones that believed, and that's kind of how we did it. That reminds me a little bit of a similar experience when my job was to get atomic tangerines sold. And the one thing that I learned from that, the really big lesson that I took away from that was transparency was the best policy. Let people make the decisions they need to make for their lives, but give them the information that they need to do that, right? Sounds like that's what you were doing. 
Transparency is a really interesting thing. We People talk about it all the time. When I wrote my book, I was completely open, vulnerable, transparent, all of that. Partly because I was using the book as therapy to heal myself and I needed to do that. But the other part was, is I wanted people to be able to see what was going on in, in a real world scenario, not something that was fluff or made up. And as much as I wanted to be transparent and vulnerable and real, not for any other reason, but just so I could be me, there was a part of me that was like, maybe I'm doing too much. Maybe I'm being too transparent. You know, when I wrote that, I'm like, that book, my clients are going to be able to see where I was. Well, they saw where I was, not where I'm at. But what I found out is you really can't hide transparency. As soon as you hide transparency, you're no longer transparent. It's not an easy thing. Well, yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> I think you have to sort of let go of some ego. Yeah, <laughs> a lot. So say more about that. I mean, like you went through a huge personal shift in order to make this work. And I guess part of what I'm hoping that we do in this conversation, there are people out there who are listening, who are looking at a mountain they've got to climb. Mm-hmm. wondering how on earth are they going to make it? And I'm, you know, a three and a half year period sounds like a really long time, but it took just exactly how much time it needed to take. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so there was a bunch of things that happened for you along the way, including a bunch of hard lessons to learn. And also, how did you keep yourself going? Like, did you do self-care? Did you take a vacation? What did you do to make it sustainable for three and a half years? The first part is, you know, getting over that mountain. What I would say to people is you're not that mountain. If you're having career issues or business issues or whatever, that's not you. That's the business. And, you know, that was the first thing. I had to get over my ego and and say the business is failing or the business is having a hard time or this is going on in the business. That's not me. That doesn't have to be me. I can be completely fantastic while the business is tanking. That's something that can happen. But early on, I didn't allow that to happen. My identity was in the company. And that's a really hard thing because then you ebb and flow. You know, it's like you get a good deal and you're like, I am a fantastic person. And something falls through. I'm horrible. And neither is true. You're fine just the way you are. You know, your business can have ebb and flow, your career can have and flow, but you're fine. And I think that is one of the hardest things that I had to learn. And self-care, that was a learned thing, right? When I finally had that realization that things were as bad as they were, when I had that aha moment, I think I spent a week or two weeks sitting in a, I, I'd go to work, I'd do my job, and I'd come home and I would sit in a chair next to my wife and not be present. She could say things. I wouldn't hear her. I was so deep in my thought. And you know, when we're deep in our thought, it's never like, hey, you know, when I get out of this, when I'm on the other side of this, this is going to be phenomenal. It's going to be great. I'm going to have all these great life lessons. I'm going to do this. You don't do that. What you do is you go, I'm horrible. I owe these people money and they were expecting me to pay them and I can't, which makes me really a bad person. Oh, Wesley Snipes went to jail for tax evasion. I'm going to go to jail. And then you just start to just spiral down. And then that last one was a real thing. 
And I remember getting a hold of my tax attorney and he's like, it's not even the same thing. And he goes, you didn't pay your tax. You know, you didn't do anything criminal. So I reached a point of such a depth of despair that I was forced to take care of myself. And what I did is I meditated and, you know, I went to a program called Landmark. I don't know if you're familiar with that. And it was a three day. It was right after like everything happened. And I didn't have a choice not to go that weekend because I paid a year earlier. And if I skipped it, I lost it. And I owed it to my wife to go because she'd been wanting to go. And the last day, just out of desperation, because it was a Sunday and I knew I was going to have to go back to work on Monday. And I was just keyed up and I wasn't getting the message. And finally, when it sunk in, when the instructor said, tab, right now, everything is okay. Everything is fine. Right now, as we stand here, everything is okay. Everything's fine. And it just finally clicked where I went, oh, if I'm present right here, right now, everything is okay. None of those things I see in the future are real because they haven't happened. They may happen, they may not. But right now, everything is okay. And once I had that, I started to heal. And I started to do it by, I would meditate. I would meditate as a way to kind of immediately heal. I wasn't very good at meditating with the intent of prevention. It was more meditating because I'd find myself, you know, emotionally charged. So meditation was really big for me. Finding time to think. There's a hotel across from our office. This is obviously pre-COVID. And I would go there and I would sit in the lobby and I would watch people and I would think. And I wouldn't bring my phone and I wouldn't bring my laptop. So I couldn't be interrupted and I would just think. And then the other thing I did was, you know, I practiced gratitude. And we talk about gratitude. So many people talk about gratitude. It is impossible to be grateful and to have a grateful heart and show that gratitude and have that despair going on at the same time. Now, maybe you're ebb and flowing really quickly, but if you get really good at the gratitude game, you can start to heal yourself. You do something to change your state yeah. by being in, in a state of gratitude, which is, that's why t- people talk about it so much is that it's, it's truly something that it alters our body chemistry, I guess. Yeah. Hugely important. And your meditation, it doesn't sound like you were doing something that was more like emptying your mind, but you were finding that that way for you to be in, in the present, this moment where everything is fine in this moment. Yeah, exactly. I would use meditation to calm myself. And then over time, I learned that meditation, it was a religious leader one time that I had heard say, you know, that they pray to talk to God, they meditate to listen. And that was a turning point for me on meditation, where I really felt like I needed to take time to just listen, not think, not answer, but listen. And that makes a huge difference in my life to this day. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. We've talked about that before, but that that for me is the space. You have to make space for the download to happen, right? We can't be constantly just relying on our own selves and trying to power through everything and force it because the truth of it is, is that we're so much more capable of that when we tap into what's outside us. You're right. And you know, the world is noisy. It continues to get noisier. 
And in order for us to hear the voice that we need to hear, whether you view that as an internal voice or a divine voice, however you view that voice, it's within the quiet that you get to hear the voice and the, and the voice gets an opportunity to speak. I firmly believe that. I have a couple of other questions, too, along the lines of you went to the landmark and you got some really great advice that was sort of spoken into your life in that moment. Did you have other friends or colleagues that you were surrounding yourself with who were sort of a circle for you? Or did you kind of go this alone between you and Catherine? I did have some friends. I had probably two or three that I could lean on in some way or another, but, you know, they really didn't get what was going on. They didn't understand the depth of the debt. They didn't understand the depth of the pain, but they were good at listening. And, you know, it's, you mentioned that refiners conference at the beginning, you know, the whole entire thing that came from refiners for me was started with a statement that somebody had made to me post all of this happening. And that was, you know, if I wish we would have known each other when you were going through that. I could have made it so you wouldn't have gone through it. And I was like, what? That was an option? So, you know, and I just mentioned that because, you know, that's what Refiners is, is to bring together peers and mentors and that, that, that can, can help you in whatever, right? And at the same time, I'm glad I went through what I went through because what I've learned, what I have experienced, my growth, all of that would never have been there without that. However, if there would have been a safety button to learn at somebody else's previous experience, I would have taken it. Absolutely. Do you have a feeling now like that you're invincible after this, that you could work your way out of anything or... I mean, how does that change the way you look at adversity and obstacles now? It doesn't mean for me that it's easy. We always have this belief. I liken it to pioneers, you know, you know, pioneers going through the central United States. Hey, this isn't that hard. Yeah, you know, the, the ground's flat. It's great. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, yeah, it's a long time. We've got to do this for a long time, but straight. The mountains come. And that's hard. That's super hard. That's the life we experience, no matter what we give ourselves or what we put in front of us, or maybe what's put in front of us by others, whatever. It's It all comes with obstacles. It all comes with experiences. And it's how we handle them. And it's interesting that you, you brought that up. And that's why I said this is an interesting question, because as soon as this conference, as soon as the Refiners Conference is over, I'm going to go back into writing my second book. And tentatively, I've titled that Outlast Everything, specifically because that's one of the things that I learned over time is that I really feel like I can outlast everything and not an arrogant showmanship sort of way, but that I've experienced something incredibly, incredibly difficult. And it's time, it's resilience, it's patience, it's self-love, it's all of those things. But with all of those things tied together, we, you know, we can outlast things. You have endurance and stamina and mental toughness. It sounds to me like it was such an incredible thing that you went through it because look at what you took away from it, as hard as that was to have to go through. I'm thinking as you're talking about the, I live out here in Colorado. So when I look at mountains, you know, I'm looking at some serious mountains, but I'm very fascinated with the way the pioneers on the Oregon Trail 
made it out to Oregon and the route that they took. And guess what? They did not figure out that route alone. The first ones might have, but, you know, and you had some who went the wrong way and they ended up being, had passes named after them, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the Sierras, right? But one of the ones that I found that was so interesting was the number of, this was a wagon train of pioneers that were headed out to Oregon. And in order to avoid hostile conflicts with some of the Plains Indians in Southern Idaho, they took the Northern route and went through what's now Craters of the Moon National Park. I don't know if you've ever been through there, but that is a gigantic lava field. And I thought, first of all, that just sucks that you, <laughs> you're caught between two places that are so difficult and you have either the choice of facing hostile conflict that could go very badly, or you can essentially take one, literally one step at a time across a lava field that seems like it goes on forever mm-hmm. in order to get to where you need to go. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, those are the choices we get in life sometimes. It's like you get this hard choice or you get that hard choice. And instead of giving up, it's having that faith that says, first of all, I'm going to find the people who I can have around me that are going to help keep me on the track. I'm going to have the faith that I'm going to learn from this, the things that I need to learn. And I'm going to dig in for my own endurance and stick with it. And you know, it's interesting, you you specifically point out the Oregon Trail, the things that those people went through, you know, death, you know, birth, disease, all of these things. There had to have been times where people sit back and went, this was a really bad idea. And why did I do this? And I'm too far to turn back. And I don't want to go forward. And I can't stop here. I have to do something. So I, I guess I'm going to go forward. And you're in the middle of this trial and you're, and you're thinking, what is the good? What am I doing? And, you know, sometimes that's how we are. It's like, you know, there's a good at the end of this. And the reason why that Oregon Trail story is so important to me is my family came over on the Oregon Trail and settled in Lexington, Oregon. I think it was in the 1850s or something like that. And I just think about what they didn't see is the generational impact that their decision made. And so sometimes that's what we don't see is we don't see the exterior impact going through our trials well or period (laughs) really impacts ourselves and others. And I don't mean this from a bragging or ego or anything else, just from maybe giving people hope that are going through a trial, because there's a lot of people going through a trial right now. And is that as hard as that was for me for three and a half years, I am such a different person now. I love deeper. I have more empathy, you know, the sympathy that I'm smarter in business. I'm more resilient. I'm thicker skinned. I always hesitate to say this, but I have a lot more money than I did beforehand. And not that that's everything, but that's one of the things. I wouldn't have had these experiences had I just rolled over. Well, yeah. I mean, if to use the Oregon Trail analogy or the metaphor, when it got really rough and turning around and going back, it's going to have a very different outcome down the road than for those who pushed on, right? Oh, yeah. And you pushed on. I'm just so impressed. And I'm glad that you were able to come and share this because there's so many people, I think, who really will benefit from hearing, you know, the story. I'd love to kind of move the topic of conversation because I want to talk about the Refiners Conference a little bit. Okay. 
And the reason why I really want to bring that out here is you are making a way for people to find who's going with you on this road, who's going to be the ones that you can rely on, the ones you can call, who's going to speak their wisdom and advice into you the way that happened to you in, in the midst of your crisis. So you've kind of pulled a lot of that together. You have some pretty big people that are doing that. Can you talk a little bit about what inspired you to pull this conference together and tell us a little bit about what it's trying to do? So the tongue-in-cheek funny part of me wants to say I had a little bit of idle time. And me with idle time is a bad thing because I don't get in trouble. I start to create. And then next thing you know, you have a conference. What really happened is, you know, Refiners is a group of peers helping peers. And we have mentors that help mentor everybody. And and we were looking at, you know, how do we grow? How do we go beyond the few groups that we have? And how do we get this out to the world? And I have a business partner. And we were talking about going, we're going to go. He was like, well, let's go, you know, one by one and contact businesses. And, and me being me go, why don't we do a conference? Why don't we just go out and have this? We'll build a conference. We'll introduce the company. We'll provide value. And it's grown into this just enormous event. I mean, you know, we went from it being like four or five hours to two days, like six and a half hours a day, plus a concert. It just keeps growing. And the idea really stemmed from how do we bring a lot of different people with different backgrounds together to help people grow. And yeah, it's a business conference, but even if somebody's not in business, there's so many things around, you know, mindset and peak performance and resiliency and all of that that is just, you know, that's the goal. The goal is to bring really great talented people together to teach other people how to, you know, improve their business performance or just improve. Well, I found this to be really true as an entrepreneur and as a person who worked in the corporate world is that when I brought my entrepreneur mindset to my corporate job, I did so much more, right? And I did it from a place that was more meaningful to me, I guess, than it was when I sort of started off in the corporate world and I'm just taking directions as a person in the organization, you know, from my boss, which is something we all need to do. But when you think about it, like, how can I add value? How can I make this my time or the contribution that I'm making here be worth what I'm getting paid? Do you know what I'm saying? That mindset. And I think that sounds a lot like what people get from going to a conference like this, even if they're not in business or a business owner for themselves. And this probably sounds cliche, but, you know, it's when we look at ourselves as a business. I can't remember who the rapper was that said, I'm a business man. I'm going to like Google it when I'm done because it's going to drive me nuts. But we are. We're a business. So if you want better things in life and if you want more money and you want increase in stature at your job or whatever, if you treat yourself like a business, those things are going to start to materialize for you. And sooner or later, you're going to reach a point where say, where you're going to be like, I either have to go expand into other things or in order for me to continue to grow. But we have to look at ourselves as a business, not just a commodity. Well, and you think of yourself as something that you invest in and something that you develop and grow, just like you would 
an asset that you were, you know, wanting to expand its value and worth. I think the other thing too, you're talking about having more money and more stature. And I think the thing that a lot of people are looking for right now is more meaning. Oh, yeah. And I don't want to diminish that. So thank you. Yeah. More meaning in their lives. So this conference is coming up in February. Is that right? February 19th and 20th. Yep. Okay. And they can register. Tell people where they can go to find the URL if they want to find more information about the If you want to find out more, you can go to refinersconference.com and everything you need to know, all the speakers' bios are there. You can click on the image and it'll take you to another page that will outline all of the speakers' bios. You know, Tab, I have known you for a long time and that has been my privilege. And one of the things that I love so much about the conversation that we're having here is how you are so open about sharing this because I know your heart and that is to make life and business and work better for other people. So this is a huge opportunity. I hope people will listen to the show here. And for those of you who have listened this far, check out the conference because Tab knows how to put something together that's going to create tremendous value and you should check it out. Thank you. Yeah, this was phenomenal. And it's like always, I love our conversations. (laughs) Well, we'll have to do it again soon, right? Absolutely. Any parting words of advice from a person who's been through this? I'm guessing that right now, with all that you've been through, and that was, you know, some, some time ago, things are looking a lot better now, right? This is a happy ending story. It is. And to give you an idea, I was doing a podcast. It was not live, but like over Zoom. And so the person could see my face and I'm talking about this experience and I'm and I have a smile on my face and, and they said, you know, you're talking about this horrible thing, but you're smiling. Why? And and the reason why is because the other side of the experience is so beautiful. It's so magnificent. That's the message I would tell people is that it is beautiful and magnificent when you overcome something. I would also tell you, be prepared to jump right back into the fire because that's the nature of How we learn and who we are as people is we learn and then we jump in and we refine. You're such an inspiration, Tab. Thank you so much for sharing all that. And people can reach out to you. They can check out the refinersconference.com. And is there any particular place where if people want to reach out to you directly, they can do that? Tabpierce.com is a website that I put up. If anybody wants to reach out to me, just fill out the form. It goes directly to me. So nobody else is going to see that. I always tell people, reach out. If I can help, reach out. If you just want to say hi, reach out. But I want to be open and available. That is amazing. Tab, thank you so much. We'll talk again soon. I appreciate you for all you're doing to be an ally for so many people. Thank you. And I appreciate you as well. Take care. Thank you. That's it for today's show. Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast is part of the ecosystem of knowledge sharing and affordable group coaching to help reverse the trend of women leaving tech and to help diverse women in male-dominated industries get the visibility, opportunities, and compensation they deserve. Be sure to check out our five-day challenge by visiting us online at createyourleadingedge.com. Like what you hear? Subscribe, share, or leave a review wherever you listen to the show. 
We'll be back again next week. Be well, stay strong, and remember, be an ally. Be an ally.